everybody. We're back with another Commission the Bald Move podcast. Uh, this one's for the 1992 flick Glengarry Glen Ross. Um, Bald Move listener Eric Kunanen, I think is how you pronounce that. It's uh, a good name. I like that. Kunanen. It's got a, yeah. yeah, it's got a nice, round, woody kind of sound to it. Very pleasant to the palate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he, uh, he, he wanted us to watch this and comment on it. Uh, I'll let him take it away, and then we'll, we'll get to talking about it. Uh, I'd love to hear you discuss the 1992 drama Glengarry Glen Ross. I remember when I first watched this movie and being simultaneously perplexed and intrigued. Until then, my idea of movies were guns, explosions, nudity, gratuitous sex, and plenty of coarse dialogue. Nothing wrong with that. I remember watching uh, GGR thinking, I don't have the first clue what they're talking about, but how they're talking, the rhythm of which the dialogue um, danced on the screen. It absolutely pulled me in. The movie managed to touch on so many themes that would be relevant to any generation. Capitalism, male pride, friendship through deception, loyalty, and good old-fashioned ruthlessness. Being so young at the time, I had no idea the weight of screen legends before me. Holy cow. Pacino, Lemon, Harris, Spacey, Baldwin, Alda. Holy shit. <laughs> Finally, I'd be remiss if I did not mention Alec Baldwin's ball-busting scene where he berates all these grown men and simply walks out of the room. I have this speech memorized backwards and forwards and find myself reciting it to myself when I'm shoveling snow or washing dishes. <laughs> For me, this is one of the all-time... Always all be time. shoveling? What? <laughs> Always be shoveling. Always be, Always be clearing cleaning. snow. Yeah. Uh, for me, this is one of the uh, all-time this-is-my-scene-get-the-fuck-out-of-my-way moments in film, and I loved it. Can't uh, wait to hear your thoughts. Keep up the good work. So, this is one of those movies I've never seen before, but I felt like I've seen it because I've seen this Alec Baldwin scene so many times. I've right. seen it parodied. Like, there's a... My favorite one is a Saturday Night Live skit yep. where John Goodman is an elf. Uh, he, he's there to, to, to put Santa's workshop in order. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just it's, a, it's Alec Baldwin himself. Wait, I thought yeah. it was John Goodman. No, Alec Baldwin does that. Oh, he, they, they had Alec Baldwin on, and he revised. Oh wow, he reprised his role. Because uh, so I've seen John Goodman do a version of this too. But, okay, okay, that's that makes it even better. And it's just you know it. This scene I mean, always be cobbling. It's always it's be cob- fucking yeah. amazing. Uh, and it, what is it? The golden tools or something that I, makes? I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These this 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 hammers for cop or I <laughs> but it's, only. Yeah, you should you should check it out. It's pretty funny. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, I don't. It it it's let, let's let's talk about the bones of this thing first. This thing was directed by James Foley. Uh, it was adapted from a screenplay by David Mamet. Uh, who won a Pulitzer Prize for the 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 stage play version of this? Right, and yeah. I'm not going to pretend like I know what the hell David Mamet is all about. I mm. know that he has done a lot of different stuff. The, I, the one thing I've seen is this Phil Spector drama that was uh, HBO that Al- also starred a much older Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. Um, James Foley, I've you know uh, I've seen The Chamber, which is a John Grisham with uh, Chris O'Donnell and I think uh, Gene Hackman. Uh, the, the Chamber, The Corrupter. You've probably seen that. Chow Young Fat and Marky Mark Wahlberg. It's like one of those buddy cop kung fu movies that was popular in Maybe. the I late saw... 90s, early aughts. There are so many of them. Sure. I can't remember. And somehow he's found himself in the hell of directing the sequels to Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty oh. Shades Darker, and Fifty Shades Free. Uh, I don't, I mean, I hope the paycheck is big. Starting you never Al have to Pacino. work again there, James. Uh, but the cast, like, that's the other thing that I thought was super fucking crazy. Al Pacino, mm-hmm. and and so this era of Al Pacino is interesting 
because I read an interview with him contemporary, contemporaneous of this movie being released, and he's talking about being in, uh, like, uh, uh, what's the one where he's the blind Marine Lieutenant Colonel? That's not Scent of a Woman, is it? Yes. Okay. The hoo sure. That's where yeah. the modern Pacino is cemented, and he's never gotten out of that since, as far as I'm concerned. Right. But he's almost there. He's in full-blown... You know, Kate and Michael debating her having the abortion. Uh-huh. You can't take my kids, Kate. I can't. I, I'm not gonna allow. I mean, he's in that pretty much the whole movie when he's mm-hmm. not doing this like crazy long monologue-driven pitch session with this guy who is the High Sparrow from Game of Thrones. Let's... Right. I can't believe how many famous faces are in this. Aside from Jonathan the main Price, cast. that's his name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's got uh, Jack Lemmon. Uh-huh. Uh, who I, you know, I'm shamefully not that super familiar with. I've seen Some Like It Hot. I've seen Grumpy Old Men. Uh, so I don't have a lot of depth, but, I mean, he's a screen right. legend. Uh, Ed Harris, which is funny because we just got done with his premiere of Westworld where he crushes it, and he's so much younger and so much more intense in this movie. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he's much more intense. He's, he's much younger. fucking intense <laughs> as the man in black. Yeah. Alec Baldwin, just walk-in mic drop. Um, one of the Alda brothers... Uh, uh, Alan Arkin is it Alan Arkin. I think it's I think it's Alan. I think he went Alda, and I think it's it's he he was going um, uh, as a different actor. But yeah, like, it is. It's Alan Arkin. Yeah, thank you. So not Alan Alda. No, easy. That's a, that's an Aaron mistake. I can't hate anybody. Alda's a guy from Mash, right? Right. Okay. Right. Um, so the star wattage on the screen was impressive. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, it wasn't like these were undiscovered talents. You, you haven't even mentioned another huge one. Who? Kevin Spacey. Fuck Kevin Holy Spacey. Holy shit. I mean, this is one of the greatest casts I've ever seen. Yes. Uh, and, and their and performances again, are insane. And, and sometimes you see this when people like are not quite discovered yet. Like, you yeah. know, it's like early on. It's like, Oh shit. Look at all, all this talent that they got. And they threw together. Mm-hmm. But no, this was these half people, of these guys are right. stars already, and I think it's because the the attraction of playing like it seems like David Mamet has his legendary reputation among actors as being like this is the stuff that you want. This is the this is the meaty stuff. This is the dialogue and emotional and character driven stuff that you just can really throw yourself into as an actor. And indeed, as I was watching this movie, I felt like i was watching just an endless oscar reel yeah like you know every single every single moment of dialogue could have been the thing that an actor was being nominated for and like this the 15 second snip they play before they cut to their face when everybody claps you know yeah it's an hour and a half of just nothing but oscar acceptance clips i think the only person who really doesn't get enough to do well i think there are a couple of them i think alan arkin doesn't doesn't have quite as significant of a, a role to play. Oh, I disagree. I think it's not a showy, but the generosity required to be like, essentially he is the setup for several other characters. He's playing right. the self. He, he's playing. That's what I mean. He's boy. not going to win an award for this role. Uh, That's true. And, and I think, but it's a shame because what he's doing is very generous and difficult work. Right. Right. I, I don't want to belittle Alan Arkin. He's right. He's in full Alan Arkin he's, mode. He's here, the though. long snapper <laughs> of the football team. Right. Like, you know, he, he he's a vital role, but like, you know, he's never going to make the Pro Bowl. And sure. yeah, not get MVP for sure. Yep. Uh, but then I feel like Kevin Spacey is borderline in this, like his role being big enough to really impress people because all he does most of the time is just 
stand there and take it. Yeah. And by uh, the way, we're about to get spoilery. So, I mean, this is one of the greatest act. Like, if, if there's yeah. not much to recommend this other than dialogue and acting, because it's kind of like a bottle movie if it had, if, if the movie was contained in two bottles, I guess. Okay, right. Uh, you know, the Chinese restaurant and then the actual office. Yes. Yeah. And I guess a very wet car interior is the third <laughs> mini bottle. That car uh, interior is so wet. But but if you if you like acting tour de forces and you want to see, like, just, you know, just, just a really absorbing dialogue, watch this movie if you haven't, I think. And it's that's the other thing is I guess I was expecting this to be like a three-hour movie. Mm-hmm. It's very tight. Yeah, it's like ninety minutes, maybe a hundred minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, as we're about to get spoiling spoilery, I thought I agree with you that Kevin Spacey flirted with being criminally underused. But I felt yeah. like at the end of the movie, when you find the twi- the, the the double triple twist, uh-huh. that he kind of found the corner of the movie to make his own. That's slowly turning the tables on Jack Lemmon. Okay, I, I, let me let me ask you this real quick because okay. I know I'm, I'm going to compare this for a second to um, one of Kevin Spacey's other movies, which has a big twist at the end. Okay, uh, what is well, the name of which that? Which one? There's the Usual Suspects. The Usual Suspects. There's seven. The Usual Suspects. The usual horseshits, uh, but suspects. Yes. Right. So you hate you hate the twist in that because because you can't see it coming. I think it's, it's undeserved out of the blue. and unfair. Right. How do you feel about the twist in this one? Because there really is no indication that that Ed Harris ever talked to Jack Lemmon the previous night. But they talk about what a big mouth. I mean, I guess what we know about the characters and how they interact, that that space, like that there's that exists in the negative space in the movie where that possibility and the fact that Jack Lemmon did it to himself in his own hubris right. made that twist. Because it wasn't about the twist so much as it was about... Here, Jack Lemmon, who is this guy in the twilight of his career, used to be a big thing, has fallen on hard times, um, deludes himself into thinking he's got to win when he doesn't, mm-hmm. and just runs with all, and he, and he thinks he's got this Kevin Spacey character in a one-down position, someone who's been his kind of tormentor, this bean counter, like, you know, guy doesn't yeah. understand sales, and then he gets, he, he, he plays out enough rope to hang himself, and... I mean, there's not really heroes or villains in this movie, but I guess Jack Lemmon is... I mean, all these guys are villains. Every one yeah. of these guys are Absolutely. essentially less successful versions of the Leonardo DiCaprio character from The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. I they're trying so. they're to, all shysters, right? They're trying like, to just, scan... I mean, like, I, I just wonder, like, what would these guys do if they had a product that people wanted to buy? <laughs> you know, and, Be successful? And, and that's the thing. Like, truly great salesmen... Uh, like the Alec Baldwin character, and even I thought that the uh, Roma character, the Rick Roma that played by Al Pacino, he seems yep. like he was successful. Um, they can sell anything because yeah. they're very likable and charismatic and like in a cult leader kind of way, and you are willing to part with huge sums of money and do risky things because you want their approval. You want to be this guy. Right. And I, I mean, think Al Pacino in this movie, uh, Roma, understands that the best of all. Sure. Because he doesn't the, the 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 reason he's so effective is he doesn't feel desperate. He doesn't feel like he's trying to really sell you on anything. He's yes. more uh, get, bringing you into his aura, right. and then allowing the sale to happen. Yes, and I think it's so much more effective than what you see Jack Lemmon doing, who and, is desperate. And it's funny because as he gets more and more desperate, he retreats further and further from the sale. 
Right. Like let's just let's just put it off on the table. Let's talk about. I'm worried about you. You know. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I yeah. That's that's great, but this is everything that I don't like about sales. Right. It's all sleazy. It's all. It doesn't it's have all... to be though, because sure. like Ed Harris has this thing about like you know. You don't want to sell one car. You want to sell fourteen. Mm-hmm. Like you, you create, you give a person a good deal and a good sales experience, and they're going to come back because it's so rare to find that. Yeah. It seems like that is the way to go, but it seems like there's also the school of thought in sales that you have to be this this kind of shyster liar, pump yourself up, make yourself look more important than you do, and it works. But it, well, it's the easy cash in, and I think like yeah. that's what Ed Harris's point is in the movie is. You know, you can take the long term and sure. and you can say, I'm going to sell this guy 14 cars over 20 years mm-hmm. versus I'm going to sell him one car that's real expensive right now and right. just and just cash out. Right. Uh, and, and he made the point that, like, once enough people start doing that, the salesman gets the reputation and they spoil it for everyone. You right. Know? The, the, even the honest salesman can no longer make a sale because everyone views them as shysters but it's funny because this is i mean there's uh, I've, I've got two minds of almost everything in this movie because i do think that sales is very hard i can't do yeah. it i've tried to do it would I've it done... surprise you to know that my dad was a salesman for a very long not time not at all <laughs> not at all because your dad has yeah. got the essential qualities of sales salesperson he right. is confident mm-hmm. uh, criticism kind of rolls off his back uh he uh is uh Fairly forceful. Yeah, right. He can he can be fairly forceful in his persuasion techniques. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, but also, I don't know. It's funny because some people are just really bad. Like I've I've had some experiences. Like there's this my, my small town uh, insurance agent. Um, mm-hmm. I remember when I was like 17 or 18. And he was talking about, you know, he, we, we, he's, he's talking about, uh, I was asking him about different things. And my dad had always told me, like, for life insurance, that uh, whole life is a scam. Like, it's, you, you either want an investment pro, uh, vehicle or you want something to protect your, your earnings capacity. Like, the, the, the whole life stuff that is super profitable for insurance agents are, um, you know, terrible ideas for individuals because it tries to blend both of those and does a terrible job at both. And I was talking and I, I talked to my insurance agent and he was saying the same thing. Like anyone that's trying to sell you whole life is like, you know, and is, is kind of scamming you. And if they're trying to pressure you into that and, you know, it's like we had a good conversation. I came back four years later because at that point I was married and I wanted to get a term life insurance while I was still young. And I went into to buy and I, and the, but he tried the same guy tried to sell me whole life. And pushed it really hard with all the same lame bullshit that they always do. And I it, I just thought it was like – it felt very Jack Lemmon. I don't know whether he was maybe – I don't know whether he'd fallen on hard times or why he was <laughs> doing this. a car this. in the running. He, right. He Did Alec Baldwin come in his office and tell him, you son of a bitch, you, you <laughs> cocksucker? You... He couldn't have any coffee in the morning. He right. was angry. Yeah. He had like, a headache. But it's like when you get the, those really true – or if you've ever been walking down a pier in Florida and one of these guys tries to sell you a timeshare – Oh right! Like it's just like oh no oh I feel so bad for you it's it's it, yeah. but but also they're you know it's kind of like they're a fucking Vegas dealer they're they're smiling and they're cajoling you but they're trying to fuck you yeah 
Like no one in their right mind buys these things in this like, you know, it's it's fine to speculate in real estate and invest in it, but I don't think you want to do it as a result of a cold call. Yeah, right. It's it's not that I guess it's not that like nobody in their right mind would buy these things, but if the salesman was being honest with you, he would tell you it's a bad idea. Right. Whereas he's going to ignore that fact and try to get you to buy it. And the other thing is, I got the impression, and I could be wrong because I'm not a salesperson, but they they talk about um, you know the, these these leads. You got these weak leads, and you got the Glengarry leads. Right. I didn't get the impression that the Glengarry leads were any better. As far no wait that the properties were any better. The the thing that the Glengarry leads got going for it is they're brand new. Like, they're new and they're they've been background checks, so they're like people who they know have the money, yeah, um, who can invest, right? Um, yeah, and and the recent, but but also the others are just stepped on, like yeah. not not only have you know these people not been vetted, or maybe you're talking about crazy people, or you're you're going to waste your time with people that don't even have the money, mm-hmm. but they've been called five six times in the last year, right? Like and and I think that one time where Jack Lemon shows up and talks to the guy, and it's just such an uncomfortable scene. Um, because Jack knows from the second he walks in the door that this isn't going to happen. Did you recognize that guy? No. Who is he? Terry Colby from Mr. Robot. Oh, shit. Yep. You're right. Yeah. The last honest man on earth. <laughs> right. I'll be damned. Uh, damn. Is there yeah. anybody in this movie that's not, that's not gone on to be some character actor of some, of, uh, renown? I don't think so. Um. Maybe one of the cops? Yeah. But he even says you get it from the other perspectives. Like, ever since my wife filled out that goddamn survey card, we've been plagued by you people. Yeah. Every And, like, it's like when if you take a fucking watchtower from a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. You're going to get a call from them every two to six weeks until, <laughs> until you, you tell them to get the fuck out. Um, right. It's – so that's the thing. It's like it's not like they even have a better vehicle. It's just like – they're all the same scam. It's just mm-hmm. these guys are rubes. They're freshly washed rubes, and they're they're sheep that we know haven't been shorn to recently, so they still got their wool. And I just thought that that's I don't know, man. And then the concept of like, well, let me let me ask you about those properties because uh-huh. b- before we get too far from 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 you know this, this scam idea, what is your impression of the properties themselves? Like aside from the tactics used to sell them do you think the properties are actually valuable are actually going to make people money there's one picture that's really pretty right but like that brochure, brochure was essentially just a fucking poster there's no guarantee yeah. that that's what it looks like it could be like stock imagery like i have might be swamp i have no idea so my you know since i've been through some rounds of these types of scams and it's heartbreaking because mm-hmm. i've also had like people to get sucked into this like multi-level marketing shit oh yeah like they have you over for dinner and you're talking it's like oh i haven't heard that's gonna be f- oh yeah we haven't heard from these guys for a couple years let's go over there and like 30 minutes in it becomes this high pressure sales pitch for vitamins or right. ammo and i'm like it's so incredibly depressing because not only is this not going to work for them but they've essentially ruined their friendship over it right and that's like why well, i guess they don't understand like yeah you're 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 pumping your loyalties and friendship out of the ground like it's oil mm-hmm. and that shit refreshes like oil in geologic times like i'm not gonna uh, you know like that that's pretty much you know, I wasn't ever your best friend anyway, and now like our relationship's fucked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess I did. You think that some of the properties were actually better? No, I mean, I, I guess there's no context to to really tell, right? I mean, from from what you see, they might be fine, 
mm-hmm. uh, but who knows? I just look at the desperation and the stink and the sleaze, and I right. think that that's not a great product. Yeah, I imagine. You're probably right. Uh, you know, I mean, there's like, I guess there's two different types of salespersons. The ones that are like cold calling and drumming up interest, and the others that like are selling good products that people are coming to them for for interest in and that's like that's like shooting fish in a barrel that's when you right. can be like oh i'm just looking out for my client's best interest well then you can be hank hill sure and just wait in the store for people to come to, sell to you propane and, and propane <laughs> accessories and you're right. you're you're passionate about that uh, he's, a, he's a good salesman i'd say yeah. an honest salesman do we need i mean that, i guess the, the big question is do you need salesmen like this to make the world work like the, if you have a good hmm. product if you have a good product that fails because it didn't get in front of people do you need a salesperson people like this to like kind of kick your door in to and I, I think about like last christmas i saw this movie joy which was about this woman who invented the self-ringing mop okay mm-hmm. and like it seemed like a great product um that's been cloned a million times and it seems like it's like it, it but it just wasn't getting traction because she was just housewife and she had no idea how to sell and market this thing. Right. Um, and then she went on to like the, what do you call those? The home shopping networks and found some success. Yeah. Um, I feel that like that's, sense. that's like the case of like, that's a good product that just brand new and it needed somebody. It needed like an yeah. Alec Baldwin to go in there and, and, and make the right connections. But well, it, I mean, it just needs exposure, right? Like th- that's mm. the thing to me, this feels sleazy because they are, they are doing the outbound calls to people who probably don't want their their stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe they signed up for some thing a long time ago, and mm-hmm. you know to get a <laughs> the timeshare stuff, right? right? Like that sort of thing to get two free vacation days, right? Um, and now they're plagued by it. But like, I, I feel like if you have a good product, the sales will come to you if you can get the word out. Mm-hmm. So these people are not getting the word out. That's not what they're here to do. They're here to force a sale where a sale wouldn't have otherwise happened, right? Because they have a product that people don't really want, and 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 it seems like they're targeting vulnerable people too. Yeah, like these aren't you know uh, captains of industry. These are mom and pops when you're you're playing with their children's inheritance and you're flirting with making these people get divorces and stuff, and their family finds out that they they can't say no. Because that's right. the other thing. Like I feel like there's some. I don't know what that's like because I have been hoodwinked a few times, but I've also been in these high-pressure deals. And, like, it gets to the point where I just start laughing. Uh-huh. Like, unless you're going to physically restrain me from this room and good fucking luck, uh, I'm leaving and this is a joke. And, uh-huh. th- you know, this is just I, – I, but there's some people that – like that Jonathan Price character who's he's apologizing for disappointing Al Pacino at the end. Right. Like – and if, and if, and he probably would have been roped back in had it not been Kevin Spacey coming in there and opening his big fat mouth and fucking everything up. I mean, I guess I can I can understand the apology because he did promise to do something and now he's reneging on that. So like, that's kind of a thing you. But it's probably like promising to do. have sex with someone after you've been roofied. Like he's using these ruthless psychological techniques to to to. Take the thing the evolution provided us for sure. to, to to draw us close and to form communities so that mm-hmm. we're successful. These are evolutionary su- the, the, uh, tactics that are successful to band together and to share common hardships and common experiences and to, and to bond over that. And he's hijacking that to sell right. bullshit real estate. Yeah, I'm not excusing that. Okay. I'm just saying going back on your word is a thing you should probably apologize for. And he's also hacking that part of the social contract because the other thing is like if you're – 
Why would you apologize for breaking a promise to a man who's lied to your face? Sure. Demonstrably, yeah. several times. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, keeping your promise only is meaningful in some s- scenario where that social contract about, you know, lying and defrauding is, is in yeah. force, right? My God, the, the three days thing. Mm. Like, when they go on and on about that three days thing, I'm just like, Pacino, do you think this you know man, what you're fucking doing here? Right. You know what you're doing. Yes, admit it, you yes. son of a bitch. Yes, and that's how little he cares about that guy. He yeah. just wanted to get to the point where it was too late for this guy to back out, and he's got his money, and there you go. Right? Can you count to three? Then you know you f- you're trying to fuck me here. Right, and, and then he's lying about the deposits and like just all this crazy right. stuff. Uh, yeah, it it really struck me like how much rage is in this movie, and th- so. I guess when when David Mamet wrote this, it was it was meant to be kind of uh, to depict the the large and small indignities that that the working class uh, have to endure. Because I read that this was a result of him working in one of these boiler rooms. He did, things. yeah. Like, because uh, I like like um, uh, who's the guy that did Hank Hill? Speaking of Hank Hill and uh, Silicon Valley, Mike Judge. Mike Judge wrote. Um, Shit, I can't think of the office space. He wrote office space as a result of his experience of being that kind of middle level programmer. Scott right. Adams created Dilbert after he spent time in cubicle at, tel- at at one you know the Bell telephone companies and like knowing what that you know just just essential soulless cubicle dwelling experience is like. Like it seems like your place of employment can have a powerful impact on your creative juices. For sure, yeah. Uh... So I I mean I'm I'm trying to I guess understand the rage that I see in this movie because it is visceral and it is from everyone. Yes, everyone like, is angry. Top to bottom. It's it's middle level management. I mean maybe the only guy who isn't angry here I feel is like Alan Arkin. He doesn't seem particularly angry. But he's too dumb to be angry. Right, right. He's too dumb and easily swayed. So he's going to be the yeah. first one on the chopping block. But everybody, I mean, Alec Baldwin is is super successful, but also very angry. Right. Uh, and I don't know if that's part of his shtick in this movie, or if that's like just a thing that you know you got to be to get to the top here. Well, so there's a lot of things that go in that, right? In, in salesmen, it seems like the successful ones have the t- the um, right stuff mentality, like from the movie where yeah. When something goes wrong, their airplane explodes or whatever, they're not the ones that fucked up. Mm-hmm. It's the person being stupid or they wasted their time and the middle management fu- – or, the, or the, 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 the leads are weak. And that kind of reactionary lashing out behavior tends to make you – if everyone's a failure except for you, mm-hmm. then you're just going to have nothing but contempt for your coworkers and fellow men. Sure. That's a recipe for anger. Yeah. I also think there's this something, you know, like uh, this this concept of toxic masculinity where these guys, I think, isn't it Jack Lemmon who says, like, a man's defined by his job? And if mm, you've got a yeah. shitty job where you're defrauding people all day and, you know, these other bastards are ha- having more success than you with the same leads and that's galling and they're screwing up and there's this guy that has never sold a day in his life and he's the one that's the gatekeeper from your success, like... That's something to make you angry too. Sure. And there's there's this whole throughout this like I guess Jack Lemon I didn't quite understand I need to see this another time to understand the subplot with his wife and daughter. Oh, that he's yeah. also there's this that, that that he is putting he's being a shitty family man and not and 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 he's he's 
like like Alec Baldwin's the same way because he's like, oh, are you a good father? Fuck you, like all this stuff, which is pretty funny, right? Um, but at least he's successful. He's got to watch mm-hmm. more than these guys' cars, and like, so he's he's. It's one thing to sacrifice your family and be a shitty human being and to have something to show for it. Right. Jack Lemmon's doing that and having nothing to show for it. Yeah. Uh, less than nothing. I mean, he he steals these leads. He presumably goes to prison at the end of this movie for it's, five grand. Yeah, yeah, it's just not worth it, man. Uh, but yeah, his I mean, anger and desperation seem to be the driving emotions <laughs> of all of these guys. Uh, and I guess you know, with with good reason. Why do you think Roma is so? Because I, I read some reviews that implied that Roma was just as lack, just as unsuccessful as these guys. But I guess I didn't see that. I thought Roma was the one that's always crushing it, and he's maybe going to make the leap up to Alec Baldwin status. Maybe so. Um, it, it seems like he has taken the place at the top that Jack Lemmon once had. Mm-hmm. That Shelley, uh, what's his name, Levine? Yeah, Shelley Levine had at one point um because you know shelly goes on and on about how successful he used to be and for three years in a row i was eight months out of the year i was the top on that board and you know he's kind of a has-been now he's he's gotten to the point where he had he's in a slump he had a few bad months and that got into his head and now he's I desperate feel like in this universe 2020 just did some kind of investigative expose about this type of predatory real estate deal and now like all the old people watch that show and like now they're all on guard for that kind of scam. Well, I think and, like, I think life, it is part of that. Like, Ed moved, Harris says that, right? Really? Life's moving on and they've they pumped this well dry and they all probably need to find another line of they need to find the next scam. Right. It seems like salesmen who are doing this kind of sales work need right. to across the board because like Ed Harris says, you know, the shysters came in, they cashed out, they ran to Belize or wherever right. the hell they went. Right. And now an honest salesman can't make a dollar because everyone right. views salesmen as shitbags. I also think part of the interesting thing about this is sales is like one of those things where you don't need any experience to get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Like you can literally show up as a result of an ad and start selling steak knives door to door, vacuum sleepers door to door. But the thing is, is like that also means that like. I, how am I trying to phrase this? Because I've tried to bring this up three different times, and I failed every. And I feel like I'm about to fail. There's this point in the movie where Alec Baldwin, in his epic speech, is saying, "You know, what are you guys going to? You going to go out there and get hard, or are you going to be one of the failures that's sitting around at a bar telling everybody sales? Sales is a tough racket. Yeah. Um. It, it's one of those weird things where, like, if you're playing NFL football. You can't just walk off the street and they're like, "Yeah, sure, put on pads, we'll get out there and see if you get hurt." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to be very, you have a, de- a demonstrable track record of excellence. Whereas with sales, you can just walk in the door, and a lot of times it's on commission, and like people don't really care. It's like, okay, well, you'll sink and swim, and it is really tough. You have to be mentally, you don't have to be just talented. You have to be mentally tough. Yeah, um, you have to deal with a lot of rejection. Rejection, which is, bad. Which is super. Like you know, obviously, uh, a lot of people don't deal real well with. Right. Um, and I think that's the other interesting thing about this is that, you know, like the the one guy played by Arkin, was he ever successful? Is he ever going to be successful? Is he one of those guys that's like I failed in a d- bunch of different stuff, and there's this want ad, and I could start right away, and there's not too many questions, and he's just going to eventually flame out. Um, was Jack Lemmon ever that successful or is he living is, – is he – because there's nothing to really prove that his story about him being successful is true. I mean I suppose he, some he of the talks interactions... about like the books or whatever. We can bust yeah. out the books and look at it and I don't know if Kevin Spacey ever acknowledges that he was successful. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he kind of does. He he implies that he was successful by saying, "Look, you haven't been successful lately." Yeah, he really stresses lately. But I also think that that could be read as him just like instead of trying to argue the facts, just being like, "I don't care." Like, okay, whatever. Right. I don't care. What about now? Mm-hmm. You haven't sold shit for months. Sure. Um, I don't know. But then, then again, yeah, it's it like is, so. I I feel bad for these guys in the guys at the bottom of the stack. Like you see Alan Arkin, um, who's character's name i don't even know yeah uh but but he you know he has seven thousand dollars on the board right you get the impression that he's a below average salesman Mm -hmm. who's just good enough not to be at the very bottom and to get by um on his sales to to live he's a single Uh, he's a confirmed bachelor he just eats microwave meals at home all he needs is about 1500 bucks a month and he's good right and i i feel like that's that's a way you could go um you're not going to get to the top. You're not going to be Alec Baldwin, but right. You're gonna you're gonna get by. You're not gonna make a million dollars last year, you son of a bitch. <laughs> right? <laughs> what man? It is crazy. I wish I didn't know. I wish I, I had an unfiltered reaction to his scene because I'd seen it spoiled in pop culture so much that because I feel like the audience, if you're in a the movie theater and you're watching that, you're going you're going you're vacillating between. Jack Lemmon's kind of disbelief and fear and Ed Harris's just open contempt. But every single time he tries, like I thought Ed Harris made a couple good points and Alec Baldwin just came back and crushed him every single time. Yeah. You know, yeah. like don't act like you don't want to be me, that you guys all want to be me. And this is what it takes to be successful. And I'm going to teach you this hard lesson. And if you guys, if the losers can't take it, well, then get the fuck out. Right. And I guess it's impossible to argue with success at some point, right? Right. Like you can you can chuckle and you can laugh, but when a guy say, like that walks in, yeah, or and you he's can also, making a million dollars a year, you know, you can also say like, well, he probably he I don't know how he sleeps at night. I bet he sleeps. I mean, that's the thing. Like the sure those guys don't yeah don't have a problem with what they're doing. The guys or they that wouldn't are be successful doing, doing this are not. I mean, yeah, they probably have what I would call terrible family lives, and their blood pressure is probably right. through the roof and all that. Right. But like, I don't feel like they feel bad about it. No, and you can see that. I don't know if it's budding in Al Pacino mm-hmm. um, in Roma, but you can see that same characteristic in Roma, right? Like he doesn't care that what he's doing is sleazy mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess none of these guys really do. Right. But some of them... They bitch about it because, you know, they wish right. they had an easy sales job where they're actually selling stuff that people want. And But, you know... And that's the other thing is, like, there's this really Darwinistic nature where they talk about the rich always getting richer. Like, if you mm-hmm. can master these high-pressure sales tactics and make sales, then you get better leads because why would you squander good leads on your least effective salespeople? So, like, yeah, it's this so- thing where if you can't... If you, if you fall on hard times, it's like... The, it, it's like the opposite of what most video games like. There's it's a modern trend in video games where you can have this brutally hard game that starts scaling back its difficulty if you fail over and over again. Mm-hmm. This is like being a salesman. It seems like the difficulty just ramps up as you as you meet failure because you have right. your own. Like a lot of this is a mental and a mental toughness. Well, like you mm-hmm. know, the rejection starts wearing on you mentally. The desperation starts coming out. The desperation is the antithesis of these high pressure sales deals. Like they only work if the other person doesn't think that you're desperate. And right. then and you start getting weak leads and that's that's one of the the ridiculous things about it. The one of the indignities that I think David Mammoth's trying to get at is this idea that you know, guys they put a foot on your face and climb up to the top because 
as they're going up, you're going down because mm-hmm. you're getting worse and worse leads. And it's not like you can just sell this stuff. I mean, if the lead is bad enough, if the lead is, the, you know, they, they use the example of the Patels in this who just want to talk to salespeople and can't, they, they won't buy <laughs> if, if Vishnu himself if, if, if comes Vishnu down. And Shiv, Shiv, or if Vishnu and Shiva came down with a million dollars and told him to buy this property, he, he still wouldn't. wouldn't. Yeah. Right, so... Like, Which is nice, nice mix of racism thrown in there, but oh, uh, there's a lot of slightly objectionable stuff in here. But maybe we can talk about that in a minute. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's brutal because there's a cycle where you just can't get out of. It's like quicksand, right? Um, I don't know, and, and I can't, I can't even count the number of times they say leads in this movie, right? <laughs> it's it's maybe trumped only by the number of times they say fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is it's like, all about the leads. But it's like you know, he he, um, the, the the guy that commissioned this, uh, Eric, he talks about the rhythm and like or this remind me a lot of like um, Deadwood, mm-hmm. which is a David Milch, I think is that's the the right one production, mm-hmm. and he's known for that kind of lyrical obscenity as well. It's actually our next commission. Oh, sweet! Yeah. That's good because you'll get to compare and contrast like this high pressure modern Tarantino style swearing versus the old timey, mm-hmm. you know. But it's still the same way. It's like this very lyrical, and it, it just flows so well. It's like the Merovingian and in, in the Matrix. It's just like wiping your ass with with, with silk. Yeah, um, and it doesn't seem as crude or crass as like you know your standard r-rated comedy right sure like it see it feels it feels real like this in in this type of environment this is how people really talk i mean my god as much as out as, as much as alec baldwin comes in and just delivers an iconic fuck you kind of speech yeah al pacino does the same to kevin spacey when he ruins that deal right al pacino eviscerates yes. this guy yes and it is glorious to watch yeah and but the thing is is it's weird because kevin spacey showed himself to be his character showed himself to be kind of mentally strong because he pivoted from that withering attack where you just want to go yeah. home cut your balls <laughs> off slit your wrist and slot and slip in the tub uh-huh. and immediately like less than five minutes later sees the opening in Shelley's armor and slides the dagger in there right um which which is a further galling to Shelley because Shelley's just tried he's wrote rid on the Roma's coattails uh-huh. uh, to just rub it in to rub just just to jump to jump it in like I, I've uh-huh. got a little taste of success and it's been a while so I'm the one up and you're the one down and I'm just gonna shit in your mouth uh-huh. and <laughs> He, oh God, he he fucks up and reveals that he was in Kevin Spacey's office, yeah. which must have me- meant that he had stolen the leads and all that. And it's is- so stupid of him to of Jack Lemmon to do this, right? Yeah. Shelley should not be rubbing it in at this point because eventually he's going to be down again. And what do you expect this guy to remember? But that's the thing from that- this encounter that you that you made a big sale or that you rubbed it in his fucking face and told right. him to eat shit and die. Right. I guess I guess if you're Shelley, you're hoping that this display of dominance will put him off of fucking with you. Like you know, it's like oh, well, it's like yeah, I might be down now, but do you really want to shovel shit at me because it's going to come back double when I uh-huh. get one up again? Like that's the whole kind of like masculine posturing it's 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 burying your teeth and beating your chest and making this threat display so that you yeah. look like the not weak target to attack and the uh, way he just it's no fun being an office whipping boy like no, you know they, no, they, they, they they make fun of that like in parks and rec and stuff and and even like uh 
uh, Silicon Valley, but that's a real phenomenon. There's always yeah. if, if you got it doesn't I, I it, it, if you get more than three people working in an office together, someone's going to be the, the the dumbass. Yeah, I'd say so. It seems like it. Like you know, uh, I mean, it's easy when you only have two people in the office because the other person's the dumbass. That's how we. <laughs> always, that's how we. Yeah. yeah, it's always the other person <laughs> fucking shit up. And if only they were like more like you. Um, but I can't believe how Jack Lemmon turns on a dime here. He makes one big sale, right? Like, which isn't actually a sale. That's the thing. Is too like stupid he, to realize. He it. should have known. Like. He should have known that, and I wonder mm-hmm. at some level if he did know that this was a horseshit sale, and right. that makes it kind of like even worse when he's going on and on and on and on about this. No, like like even Kevin Spacey said, you should have known. Like, how deluded are you mm-hmm. that you saw this and that you you you, you sat with these people and you, and you saw? He says like the living conditions. Like I'm imagining he's going to this dilapidated trailer, right? And he's making an eighty six thousand dollars sale. Like, he knows that that's not going to stand up, but he wanted that success so bad that even though he knew it wasn't real success, he still... And that makes it even more deplorable that he was going to rub someone's face in this imagined success. Right. And it it makes me wonder what's going through uh, Kevin Spacey. I think Williamson is his name. Mm. Uh, Kevin Spacey's head at that point. Like, because he knows. He clearly knows from the start that this is not a real sale. Right. But he's taking this abuse from Levine in this moment. And I, I don't well, know if it's because Al Pacino just eviscerated him and he deserves it. Well, it's also a mirror of the earlier conversation where Jack Lemmon jumps in the car mm-hmm. and just increasingly dis. Like, I thought that we might see, like, Jack Lemmon blowing Kevin Spacey. Like, that's kind of the desperation okay. level, like, yeah. he, that, that I was feeling. Wh- which means that it makes perfect sense he steals the leads, right? But but yeah. Kevin Spacey, I felt like the whole time, never seriously considered selling these leads to him. He was just fucking He would have strung him along. See. Yeah. Or I he, want he the might... money now. Oh, I want it in hundreds. Right. I don't, I don't want your right. I don't want your 20s. Or, or it'd be such a great one-sided deal that he could, you know, plausibly deny that it'd just be yet another thing that this loser Jack Lemmon is going to do to make himself a failure. Right. So I thought that that's interesting the way he played it almost the exact same way. Because you're right. He had that hammer. He could have flashed out at the very beginning of the conversation to shut right. Shelly down. Yeah. But he let him play, I guess, just to see what advantage he could extract from it. And because he did deserve it a little bit, I think. I guess, yeah. You know, it is a mistake. Roma did just completely rip his nutsack off. For good reason. Right. Uh, well, I mean. <laughs> well, in that scenario, for good reason. You should have known not to spoil my lie. I've been working you sh- this lie. You should have not. You should have known not to create your own lie before you know the shot. Like well, he says, I mean, and like Shelly, find out. Shelly's a good enough sales know. guy that he knows, right? And like that's the other thing. Like he, he uh, that's the other interesting thing is that he's got to know at some level he failed with these Nyquists or whatever the hell their name mm-hmm. was. Nyborgs, yeah, Ny- the Nyborgs. <laughs> uh, which what the hell kind it's of a weird name? name but, like that. That yeah. feels like a couch I bought at IKEA. <laughs> The Nyborg. <laughs> maybe they're... It's got pocket holders in the Swiss. armrests. Um, it's made from recyclable bamboo. But he did have a genuine flash of genius when he was able to support Roma. And Roma yeah. giving him, like, you know, over-the-top praise and credit for that. So, pumped him up enough that he slit his own throat with Kevin Spacey's character. Right. So that's interesting to me. The way... So I'm assuming that Roma knows that these people are not actually viable sales material these nyborgs right probably i I think roma is smart enough to know that he clearly knows these old leads right he's been on all these calls before uh so when he's pumping up jack lemon when he's saying oh great job buddy like tell me the story 
I feel like he is genuinely supporting the other salesmen in the office mm-hmm. so that they can all kind of get ahead. Um, and he sees a guy that's down on his luck, a guy that mentored him, apparently. Right. Uh, and he's trying to not shit all over him. Sure. Unlike Kevin Spacey, who's going to tell him to his face it's not a real sale. Right. Uh, so it's interesting the different way that he treats uh, Jack Lemmon's sale versus Kevin Spacey. Right. The way he treats it. And, and it gives him the confidence to be his backup also mm-hmm. when he needs it. Like like you were saying, the vice president of whatever it is, American Express or something. Right. Um, I feel like Roma understands the dynamics of these office uh, of this particular office way better than anyone else. Right. And that's why he's so successful. He understands sales. He understands the office. He just understands how to maneuver in these waters. I agree. And he's got like, you can see him as a proto or like a Baldwin on the rise or maybe, yeah, maybe you get the feeling that he's almost a Baldwin's level, but he's just like, if he was a tad bit younger or better looking, uh, that he would have gotten there, but maybe he's already at his peak and maybe he's ready to fall off. Because that's the thing, like... Maybe. You know, I, I feel like a lot of this sales is so attractive. It's so interesting because, like, I was talking to some sales guy and he was uh, he was in a pharmaceutical rep and he was bitching about how that his industry is dominated by young, blonde 20-somethings. Right. Which makes perfect female sense. Female 20-somethings? You, yeah, exactly. Right. And it's funny because I dated a, a, a young female 20-something uh, pharmaceutical rep, and uh-huh. she was just tripping over st- fat stacks because, stereotypically, these doctor's offices are staffed by older, right. wealthy men who, like, even if they're not going to cheat on their wives, they like the they like the attention and they like the flattery. And even of if course. Yeah. I'm not saying that she was even unprofessional, but, like, uh-huh. that's, you know, attractiveness is one of the foundational privileges that we have. Right. And that's, as a salesperson, like, that's kind of scary because just like a model, you have a shelf life. If you're... Yeah. Start losing your hair, or you gain a little bit of weight, or you you're, that 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 aura of I want to be this guy, I want this guy to like me, gets punctured just even a little bit, you're done. Mm-hmm. You didn't lose a step, and then I guess it's kind of like being an athlete too. Like eventually, your body's going to betray you, and you cannot run with the young men, no matter how much smarter or better physical skill you are than them. Right. Uh, and I feel like that maybe that's Roma. Like he didn't get the achieve escape velocity. And his best years are behind him. It could be. And he's moving I mean, off the Carlitos way, and it's it's he's never going to happen for he's him. He's in an office full of losers, right? Yeah, he's the win. He's, he's not with the closers. It, he right. may be a closer himself, but he's not with the closers. He hasn't made it down to downtown. Right. It indicates right. that maybe he's not quite as successful as, or never will be quite as successful as Alec Baldwin. Right, right. His character name I also don't know. Right. And I feel it's unnecessary to know. He he might not even say it because he says, what's your name? Fuck you. That's my name. Yeah. He might just be Alec Baldwin. He might be actually It'd be hilarious if he's credited as fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you is played by Alec Baldwin. I read somewhere that his name was like Blake or something. Like Mm. it starts with a B. I can't remember. Because Kevin Spacey might have introduced him at one point. But again, this is the first time I've seen this entire movie. Um, but it's great. I also thought like the movie, like there was a lot of, you know, I'd seen this thing. So I appreciated it. Some of the comedy, just the fact that you're coming in and you're just treating these men like oh, they're less than children and there's nothing they can do about it. Because if they say, I'm not going to put up with this shit. Well, then fine. You're fired. Yeah. Don't and like it. Hit the bricks, hit pal. The bricks, pal. <laughs> uh, you want to be a good father? Fuck you. Go home to your kids. <laughs> 
Um, it's a, just a glorious speech. Fantastic writing. But I thought the Ed Harris and Arkin stuff where he's trying – like they're doing this duel where – like Argon's dumb, mm-hmm. but he's not dumb enough to be because because. Are you Harris talking is, about the part where are we talking about this? Or are, are we, we just talking, talking about, about this? this? Are we talking about right. this? Right. And he's like, well, you know, obviously I'm the one that's a suspect, and I got an ironclad alibi, so obviously you have to be the one to steal it. Yeah. And Alan Ark is like, <laughs> I ain't going to do that, Ed, or whatever the guy's name is, and it just went. It's like this extended whose line is it, yeah. or who's who's on first situation that I thought was hysterical. I did too. Uh, I, I think there is some. Some genuine comedy in here right and, and that's the other thing about that alec baldwin speech is every time you think he's done he launches into the next stage of it and it right. just builds on itself and at, at some point like you think he's going to do the drill sergeant thing where he's torn these guys down and you you kept on feeling like there's he's about to turn a corner where he's going to now give them something and he kind of does but he never really takes his foot off the fuck you pal you're no. losers yeah because then at the end, like right when you think that he's going to be something kind of gently, he answers he's like, "Just to answer your question, the reason I'm down here with you, these losers, is because your bosses told me to come down here to try to tell you something to to give you kicking ass. My advice was to just go ahead and fire you all. <laughs> right, fire your fucking asses. Right, and it's just like, oh man. So I I love I absolutely I don't know if they did this with a cut or what, but the way that Alec Baldwin effortlessly i don't know if he has a hook in in his briefcase or whatever but the brass effortlessly just they're not moving when he comes from behind that case yeah like they're just there like they were affixed to him right it is it's like stage magic just there's and and i gotta give it give it up for the director too because that shot yeah is amazing yeah just the pan shot how many hours it take to perfectly frame alec baldwin's crotch (laughs) <laughs> right and just leave it there just leave it there while have he's the talking. confidence just film a man's junk while he's yeah. got brass balls hanging in front of him yeah no it's I- iconic there are several iconic speeches well, in this the other thing i always thought was interesting was this this idea like you've heard a lot of this like i i know that i think the guy who runs ge jack thompson or whatever was famous for like every year firing the bottom 10 percent of his employees oh shit are and we like, gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> we need 10 first so we can des every year we'll call it the decimation um but here's the thing like going back to our jehovah's witness culture mm-hmm. uh, if you remember we had to turn in our time how much field service we did every month right? right yeah and what you were graded by was the national average like if the pub- the average publisher is getting 9.8 hours then you were seen those like you need there's intense pressure to meet or try to exceed that right there's a problem with this mathematical problem. Yep. If everyone is meeting is, is trying to meet or exceed an average quota, the average quota just keeps creeping up into infinity. Absolutely. Yep. That's like a mathematic. And like I always thought, that, like I I tried to explain <laughs> to some elders the difficulty of like if you the do impossibility realize, of you, it. You do realize. Yeah. Well, no. There. If everyone got like ten hours a month, right? That everyone could meet the average. But that's if if you have. But any, if any, but if, if people even start going person, over, yeah. Yes. And I'm trying to explain. I felt like a crazy person, but that's kind of like this way this the sales and like you know GE was run as a company. Like it's so weird because it's like, well, get rid of the bottom ten percent to to make room for others. Well, what if you what if you hire someone worse? Mm-hmm. I mean, then you, they go out with you the next ten percent. You need you need reliable role players. You need the guy that's getting a consistent seven thousand dollars a month. That's like I just right. So that the this, problem becomes like. When when you've weeded out all of the bad people and all you have is the cream of the crop, 
well, now you you're going weed to out those ten percent at the bottom, and now you're hiring people who are probably going to be worse yes. because they haven't been through that process. That's such a horseshit management style, and I don't right. understand why people don't like. I understand like you need to fire people, but on some arbitrary mathematical principle, it seems like madness. Well, here's the, the interesting part of it: mm-hmm. the top ninety percent of your staff right. will always be the most amazing people you could possibly have, right? Sure. Whereas the bottom ten percent are going to be whatever, right? So, I mean, maybe it does work out. But even if you have a team of superheroes, like, you mm-hmm. know, like you, like Aquaman is the one getting the cut out of Super Friends. Right. You can still, like... You, you but can, you don't need Aquaman. So let's say you fire Aquaman, right? And then for your new hires, you hire you get John, out of college. John Spolsky can off he, the street. Can he talk to whales? Can he swim super fast underwater? No. no well, then now he's, he's gone. Aquaman. But, but here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing you've done uh-huh. is you've cemented the rest of the Justice League up there, right? In right. The 90%. So they're never going anywhere. They're amazing. They're all awesome. But those bottom 10% are just going to keep rotating out. Yeah. Until you find somebody who is genuinely better than someone in the ninety percent, mm-hmm. they creep up in the ninety, and now Batman's gone. Yeah, right. That's, like, yeah. Fuck you, Batman. We don't need and you. And also, real talk, you could just fire everyone. And keep Superman. Like that's, that's you true. know, yeah. if, if, if if the Justice League <laughs> was run by a real a ruthless individual, they'd but, realize but, that. But maybe you have to have two people, one person in the same place or in two different places at the same time. All right. So you keep Captain Marvel. And, and okay. maybe it may be Wonder Woman, so that she for vacation rotation. <laughs> right. But everybody else, like smartest, no, smart, smartest man in the world, bat, get the fuck out of here. Superman can shove a planet into the sun. You don't, you yeah. don't need anybody but him. But uh, I don't know. I think that bottom ten percent is ruthless, but but maybe effective. I think. Well, I don't know. It depends on what the other thing is. It also depends on what kind of atmosphere you want in your company. Right. Like, yeah. Um, it also depends on you don't want how long you've been doing it. Like, to me, it's like that's that's just it's it's yet another way to have management be lazy. Uh, it's actually hard. The hard work of management is firing people, helping people improve, and then when they refuse to improve or adapt to the changing businesses, is to 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 get them. On to the next one, right? The idea of it's guaranteed firing to come up with some kind of fucking bullshit metric, draw a bright red, red line, and all you guys get pink slips. That's sure that's, uh, mandatory firing seems not uh, seems unnecessary. Seems super entertaining, like in a very gladiatorial <laughs> type of way. Like Alec Baldwin would love this shit. Sure, sure. Uh, you can like you know <laughs> jobs uh, are for closers. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I don't know. You could take the bottom 10% and then have them do a fist fight, and whoever wins a fist fight, you get to stay on another year. Like, there's all kinds yeah. of things you could do that might be even effective, <laughs> but I don't I don't know. It's how Tyrell would have run E-Corp. <laughs> the yeah. IT department would have just been You have to beat up at least five homeless guys. Fight. Here's your quota. Yep. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I, I do have a question here for you. All right. Because there's a whole other thing that that uh, Eric wanted us to go through that I thought would be entertaining if we did this and they evaluated bald move based on this the lessons from this movie. Okay. Uh, so the, the the wrap up and maybe we have some other comments, but uh, he um, sent in this article that was from some website that now I'm I'm having a hard time remembering where it's from. Shit. Uh, ChristopherWink.com. I don't know who Christopher Wink is. I tried to find out. But he's got one of these new age horseshit websites that. <laughs> Or just endless streams of content. You can't scroll to the bottom. I couldn't find it about such. So it's Christopher Wink, and he does a lot of stuff on sales and marketing. It's mm-hmm. his blog, ChristopherWink.com. Uh, and he watched this movie, is impressed, and he came away with 10 life lessons that one can learn from Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Oh, God. I thought it'd be interesting to go through these and see, like, grade bald move on, on how well we meet the GGR standard. 
Uh, point number one, a man is his job, says Shelley Levine, Levine, played by Jack Lemmon. Even if you don't define yourself by your work, the very fact of choosing work that allows you to not be defined by it makes it a part of who you are. What we do, what we spend most of our time doing, surely says a great deal about who we are. So we watch television and movies and talk about it. What does that say about us, Jim? Are we prof- oh, I feel like that we're professional heisters at this point. Professional slackers. Uh, yeah, no, it's... I mean, it says that, hey, we like to watch TV, and we're into uh, talking about it. So the other thing is, do you genuinely like watching television? I yeah, feel like the, uh, we, we accidentally stumbled onto this because it just so happened as a golden age of television. You got into one or two shows, but I don't think you watch – like you don't consider watching television and movies as like your core hobby. No, well, I mean movies more so. Like I was definitely more into movies at the time we started this. Uh-huh. Um, since then, I've gotten a lot more into television, and I think right. television has gotten better. But yeah, I mean, before we started any of this stuff, I watched Lost religiously. That's true. Um, there were a couple of shows that I I really loved, Firefly, yeah. uh-huh. that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I would say I was more of a movie guy than a TV guy. Uh, point two, it takes brass balls to sell. The effort, confidence, and savvy to sell damn near anything is an admirable but enviable and often loathsome toolkit. Uh, bald move sucks at selling. Yeah. Uh, we essentially... Uh, uh, we're, the, we're the Ricky Roma of, sell, of sales, you know? We don't want to oh, push we're, you. For, we're forging a personal relationship yeah. with the listener. And then, like, oh, by the way, I got this opportunity. Yeah, it's called by Club the bald way, move. there's a club. But it's... You know, yeah. You gotta you gotta ask yourself what you would want to think of yourself in the morning. Right. <laughs> we give but we give away that like regardless of whether you support us or not, you get the you get the core product. Yeah. Like, you know, Eric's the one who purchases a podcast, uh, but we're giving away to everybody. Right. But you there's know? an opportunity there if you really wanna seize it. Right. You could have us watch Death of the Salesman and compare and contrast. Or what's that one that had William H. Macy where he's going door to door selling vacuum sweepers? Because I feel like uh, Death of the Salesman, this and that would be some kind of interesting trilogy. I mean, William H. Macy does that in every movie, right? Fargo. <laughs> he's, he's a really shitty salesman. Shitty salesman. He's a shitty there. salesman, but he's like persevere. Like it's like you know, like literal door in the foot kind of or door foot in the door kind of salesmanship there. Yeah. Um, but you know, we we often remark, and that's like definitely one of our weak spots. Like if we had anyone that could sell. And mark like not market maybe because we've been blessed by having like the best thing you can do for marketing. We 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 uh, can count on good positioning on iTunes because we were successful and we got lucky. But sales, like I feel like you know, if we had anyone that knew how to sell shit, we could sell a lot more ads, which would in turn make right. the club more attractive and not necessarily like sales to to. Our customers who are no, you know, club members. But the only thing we do smart, I think, is and because we realize that repetition is the key. Like it took a, a year or two of getting the Amazon link out before that snowballed into something. It took a year mm-hmm. or two of putting the club in people's faces before that kind of snowballed. Let me ask you this: but do we don't have anything like I don't think we have any really technique other than asking people, "Hey, do you think this is worth it?" Then support it. If not, right. hey, that's cool. We like you anyway. Do you think that applies to the old leads? Do you think eventually persistence is enough to sell? these old leads it just depends if they're living in a creaky trailer and they're crazy then no right but for the vast majority i mean those seem to be the exceptions among the old leads yeah i mean there's definitely like we did a poll like a year and a half ago and like 
something like 40% of the audience, and these are the ones motivated enough to help us by filling out a survey, are just like, hey, no offense, I'm never going to pay for a podcast. Right. The concept of paying They're for the podcasts is like paying for oxygen. Yeah. Like, I, I guess I could do it. But I if, don't see if any. Mark Marin himself gave you a million dollars to sign up for a podcasting club. Right. They wouldn't do it. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, it'd be Mark Marin <laughs> and, uh, uh, God damn it, uh, Joe Rogan. Right. Came down, gave you a million dollars, said, Bald Move is and the a thing. year's supply of on it, <laughs> of, of brain drugs. Uh, and a, and a, a <laughs> uh, what, what are the bells called? Shaped like a monkey face. Mm. What is his? What the is his thing? Shaped like a monkey face. Yeah, the kettlebells shaped like a. Oh monkey, yes, like okay. a monkey's face. Got you. I thought you were talking about Joe Rogan's like podcast logo. No, <laughs> like no. that's that's that. You know, sure he looks like a monkey with a third eye, but that's kind of <laughs> cruel. Uh, point the third. ABC always be closing. These immortal words from Baldwin's character are very nearly cartoonish in the movie, but the sentiment is real. Before entering any meeting, sure. know what your ask is. What is considered a success? Um, how could we apply that? Up? I feel like. Every time we say something funny or we laugh, we should just be like, hey, if you, if, if, if you laughed, if you laughed at that, you owe us a dollar, you, 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 you fucker. You sons of bitches. Right. Just you, have you, an you insert. Podcast whores. We, you just, if you just laughed in your car right now, you owe us a dollar. That's pretty good. Uh, I don't I, think I, I can do that. I think we that. should do it. I, don't, I can't even remember the funniest because, like, that's the other thing. It's like uh, we often remark, like, man, if we made T-shirts from, like, just one funny concept that comes out of every season of television, our merch sales would be super successful. But that requires us, mem- you know. <laughs> I, I As soon as I did get done finished recording a podcast, I, like, just clean, clean it out of my memory. I, I have to. We record so much sure. that if I tried to keep anything in my head, it would just be – Yeah. I'd, I'd end up at the like farm. Like, I retain plot in the universe, but, like, the, the running gags and stuff, that shit happens organically. Yeah. Uh, four, you've never even been on a sit. Let me ask you this before we move on to four. Yep. Always be closing. Uh-huh. So iconic. And, and Alec Baldwin does such a hell of a job delivering those lines – I felt like the AIDA stuff kind of got in the way. I know that's like real marketing shit, right? And, and it's principles of marketing, but I felt like they didn't need it. No, I think I think we we're supposed to understand that he this was supposed to be a sales like informational seminar, mm-hmm. and he has taken the the. It's almost like. Everyone knows this. If you've been to any seminar, you've been to mall. This is the shit. I'm going to give it zero lip service. It's just there so I can say that I did it. Like, right. I, I kind of think that that might be the point. I, I see what Maybe you're it saying. Is. Maybe it is. Um, but it's like, you know, he just like – he really was there to call them all losers saying that well, you're going to be fired. I expect you all to be fired. This is a fool's errand. Mm-hmm. And But it's kind of like this weirdly motivational, but maybe you'll surprise me. I don't know. Right. Get enough fire in your belly. Uh, you never been on a sit, says Lemon's character, accusing Kevin Spacey's bookish character of being unaware of the real challenges of the sales. Two things in this point. One, there's a clear sense that any entrepreneur, any red-blooded American, really should have some sales experience. I feel that. I don't. But I feel like that, you know, of the things it takes to be successful being a showmanship, showmanship and sales are one of the more crucial things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather have a mediocre idea and a strong salesman than a great idea and no sales. Because, uh, honestly, we got lucky. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, uh, what I'd rather have is a great idea and a lot of money to pay for exposure. Okay. Well, how would, <laughs> that but, would really but work That's well. the thing. Like, 
I feel like if we had a million dollar ad budget, we would piss it up a rope and not know how to measure its success and not know but how you, to target yeah. it. I mean, I guess you hire somebody who is a salesman. Who oh, at that point, d- sure. can do marketing for you, right? But if you didn't, if you if you were a salesman, you wouldn't need to. Yeah, that's like you know. I mean, we got one or the other. Like be, us both being technologically inclined, right? Because you know, having an internet business that's super important. That if you if we had to hire out every single time we did a new initiative or project or something, we'd have gone broke. We'd never been able to do it. Yeah. So I mean, Being we able did to have do like basic art stuff, right? Like designing shirts and and logos and. I think it's interesting when you got a guy like Steve Jobs who is a visionary he's who's got the vision he's got the ideas he's got the leadership he's got the salesmanship and he's got just enough technical savvy to keep the engineers honest right like once in a generation you get someone that rolls down the assembly line like that and they fucking take over the world how could uh, they not right <laughs> i mean and right. they're and they're insanely driven like, sure yeah come on <laughs> right they leave a lot of human wreckage in their wake, but they, they do they do a lot of great things. Yeah. Uh, five, appearances matter. This is, of course, nothing new, but the movie's humor comes best when the real estate agent characters are deploying any mechanism of treachery to fool their potential clients into believing any number of lies. Um, yeah, Jack Lemmon, his desperation. Right. And, and the way he talks on the phone, I'm like, that can't possibly work on anyone. Yeah. Grace, could you buy me a ticket? Get, 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 right. Put this ticket to Florida so I just, yeah, $10,000 cash first class. And- like, what? Get out of here. Yeah, like, you know, the only ones going to fall for that are just rubes or yeah. morons. Uh, lies are ultimately bad for business, but the point is clear. In most cases, you are who you present yourself as. You probably do good work and know your industry well, but do you look like you do? Um, how does that apply to bald move? Because we've always we, portrayed ourselves as rubes from the hills of Indiana. I mean, we're 100% honest with our portrayal of ourselves, right? right. We don't pretend to be a big c- company that's producing... Right. You know, so I see a lot of like one man operations who throw up a website that says that makes it look like they're a hundred person operation. Well, like let's 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 talk about the, the the professional podcasters that we know. Okay, like there's a couple successful ones. There's a whole bunch of people trying to do what they're doing. Uh, but like I feel like when I see them talk on the groups, like their struggles and the stuff that they're trying to do and the weird kind of cons they're running. I can't relate to any of that. Oh, right. Like how do I game the system to get into the top uh, iTunes category? Sure. Like uh, to the top of my iTunes category. Sure. How well, can I'll I tell I you how to Facebook game the system, make a great podcast. Sure. There. And then, boom. And, and then hope to get it. That, but then rely on luck to get exposure. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's it's funny because you know in about three weeks we are supposed to give us talk on how to be you know how to how to succeed at podcasting and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I guess do good work and know your industry, but do you look like you do? I I guess like I don't even know what that means in our context. You know, we could be in our pajamas and I never shave and right. I do bathe every day. That's that's a plus. Um, but I guess like we have a website that looks like it's got a lot of interesting things on it. Yeah, it I mean, in, in a lot of ways, like some of our product is honesty, right? Like yeah. we're not trying to fake you out and make you think that we're better or worse or different than we are. Right. We're just trying to put ourselves out there and people I, I think that's what sells people a lot of the time. Which segues to this point number six. Tell a story, get familiar, speak with passion. Lying or not, succeeding or not, even these small-time real estate agents are always doing these three things. One, they have a story to tell for why they're selling 
uh, what they're selling is the right fit and why now is the right time. Two, they're developing and remembering names and details to develop a connection and making that no even a touch harder. And three, they're speaking like they're talking about what they're talking about matters. Mm-hmm. I feel like because of our core pr- pr- uh, principles of honesty and transparency and, you know, the idea that we're not critics so much as we're we're fellow fans allows us to to tell those stories to be familiar to people and speak with pa- and, and and have that passion right. that's one that's the first thing i feel like okay well bald move yeah that's us in spades um seven have a oh here's another good one have a deadline always have a deadline in the movie every character is always leaving so yes we need to make the deal now it's all hogwash and the lying <laughs> right. isn't necessary but understanding that without a deadline of some kind getting the movement you want is always going to be harder is paramount yeah it's part of that closing that's It'll always and, be closing that's the, i guess the key to bald news success is that we're both i think slacker slash uh procrastinators by nature mm-hmm. and the relentless grind of like every sunday night this show is going to be on and we have to talk about it every tuesday right like it's the magic formula of keeping us on this grind that continues to make the product that we need to do to be successful. Like if it was up to us, right. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of how, like maybe if we got screeners, that'd be the worst thing to ever happen to us because then like HBO is like, here's these 10 episodes, watch it and then record the podcasts. And what, like we talk about how that would help us like set our schedule so much better. But I'm also thinking like, it wouldn't surprise me if we waited till the very last minute to watch that and actually made an inferior podcast. Uh, maybe so. That's my worst maybe fear. So. Yeah. We'd get these and like we'd put them off, and then like you know now we got oh god we got to record three of these in one day. Jesus, we're just right. going to half-ass the whole thing. Uh, I don't want to sell ourselves too short because we did have a long-running podcast before this where we hit our deadline hell or high water every single week for seventy-seven weeks. That's true. So, I, I mean. I don't want to say we wouldn't do it. Uh, it's but always, it is the, more likely. It's certain my fear that we wouldn't do it. And I feel yeah. like a lot of my a lot of uh, my success is fear driven too. Yeah, like I'm yeah. afraid. I'm afraid to I'm afraid let of being people destitute down. And I'm homeless. afraid. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm afraid of what would happen if we didn't make make a deadline. Like I'm trying yeah. to think if there's. A, I know the Cecily and I met, failed to because we decided to do two shows instead of one and so we the first show we had to do like a day or two later than normal but mm-hmm. like I can't think of any time that we've missed an actual you know we've never not done a podcast I can't even think of one that we've done more than a couple hours later than normal either right so I guess the closest thing is these commission podcasts we occasionally have to push those and it feels like a fairly easy thing to do right because we don't have a set schedule but I feel a pressure release. like yes, you can push one out a week. But if I put the but that then it's like double pressure to get one next week and maybe even two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we're very deadline driven. I think that's a lot of our success. And I that's the thing. It's unfortunate. I see a lot of podcasters like just let, the other week in one of these professional podcast podcast groups that we're a member of. One guy was essentially saying, "Is it okay to slip a deadline?" Right. And people were on there like, "Of course, you know, you, everything comes." And I'm like. Uh, if you want to be successful, it's super crucial not because it's not just right. that. It's not just the one time, um, you know, that you that you ring the dinner bell and the people come and there's no dinner. It's what that does psychologically. Like every time you do it, it's going to get easier. Like every time when you when you lie to right. someone, the next time you lie, it's going to be easier. When yeah. you miss a deadline, the pressure to miss the next deadline is not going to be nearly as much. You get habituated to any kind of negative stimulus. Sure. So, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. So, these are guys who, what, have just been 
or who are acclimated to lying. Uh, these salesmen and they're willing. I would say willing would and say. almost even eager to lie to people. Yeah, like they're yeah. just they're just they're they're social hackers. They're like a Mr. Robot. They're looking for ways to yeah, that's true. Manipulate people's loyalty and affection to, for their own ends. Uh, eight, make people explain themselves. Um, this fits and can in. I can I make it clear? I'm not talking about all salesmen here. I don't think all salesmen are evil. I, think we've I don't done think a good all salesmen are shitty. I think I'm talking about these particular salesmen in this movie. Yeah, I think that I've had great relationships with salesmen. Like my financial yeah. advisor is a sales guy, and he's awesome. Like, right? I feel like he has given me such rock solid advice the last few years, and even said like, when after he looked at my financial package, like, look, I, it's not appropriate for me to try to sell you. I think you need right. these things, mm-hmm. but when your financial situation, it would be counterproductive. He wants to sell you 14 cars yeah, instead of one. Yeah, I think he wants to, like, you know, yeah. bald move turns into a million-dollar industry, then, <laughs> I, I mean, that's well, smart. Shame on it. <laughs> the, the Whatever. What, whatever the expression is that he's going to be barking up the wrong tree on that. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like he's in the long Jokes t- on him. That's Jokes the on one him. I'm looking oh, right, right. Yeah. Jesus. Um, but yeah, like, you know, he's built this relationship with an entrepreneur that's had a couple different companies. And, like, if I ever hit it big, then. And also, right. you know, I'm a, kind of a probably a low burner time investment for him. So I, I don't know. Oh, I, sure. I just think that I, I, I've had, uh, I had a car salesman that I always went to back in Indianapolis because, you know, it was a. Uh, um, I felt like it was a fair and equitable and they didn't lie to me. Like, I feel like that that's definitely, I've had great relationships with salespeople that are, that, 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 that do serve the customer. These are not, you know, right. These are not them. <laughs> and honestly, if, if you, if I'm talking about a situation you're in, I just feel sorry for you because it sucks. It seems like it's, it, it just, just must suck unless yeah. you're super successful. And then, you know, you're Wolf of wall street. Uh, yeah, I, the, the idea of working in like a call center, which is kind of the way that a lot of people get into this kind of sure. stuff just seemed like the worst to mm-hmm. me i mm-hmm. i absolutely would have hated doing outbound calls for sales i've also heard like you know like the gamestop employees that like got into it because they like to talk to people about games and are passionate about it and then suddenly right. they have a quota for how many power up cards you can sell right and like ah, oh, jesus you just turned this job that i liked into something that's living hell yeah um i don't know it's 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 interesting uh, number eight, I don't get. It's make people explain themselves. Um, we often, too often, bail on each other or simply misunderstand each other when we impatiently finish people's sentences or thoughts. When rather, it's better to wait someone out. And sales, a sense of directionless from someone else, is an opportunity to create direction for you both. Details are like family; you love them, but don't always need them to be around. Uh, bring them up when they're beneficial, or focus on the overall meaning or broad vision. Otherwise, yeah, I don't. I don't know about that point. That's a little weird. Uh, yeah. I think he's getting at like Kevin Spacey jumping in and trying to make something up, and mm. but I <laughs> details being like your family, no fucking clue what that means. Yeah, right. Uh, nine ownership of the upper hand goes round and round throughout the movie. The cast of characters is always attacking someone else, only to find that vitriol coming back hours later. It was a combative, competitive work environment of one-upmanship. It didn't seem like any of the characters were aware that they would surely be in a different situation soon. That's a lesson everyone should remember. Give help because you're surely going to need it soon. Right. I talked about that with regard to Jack Lemmon. Right. Rubbing it in Kevin Spacey's face. Right. Not a good idea, man. Next yeah. week. And I've seen that like in my own career. Like, uh, There's this memorable time where I questioned another team's lead. Not questioned, like called him out. But I sent him a private email like... 
hey, I just noticed in this this latest build that there's something wrong with the like security sign-on thing that it's not compatible. And he sent me back this like super humiliating message, and he copied my boss and his boss and all these other guys on it, and just called me on the carpet and berated me that I had the temerity to waste his time with this bullshit. And then it mm-hmm. turned out I was right. Duh. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess I've Did you always, rub it in? No, fuck no. Right. Because my, right. my organizing principle is I I am imperfect and I'm going to fuck up and I do not want anybody to yeah. like grandstand and lord it over me. I don't ever want to be that it, that that guy that does something like that. And so I, I'm, uh, you know, that's always frustrating because that's in, in the development world, you're dealing with people that are always in disbelief that their code could be the problem. Mm-hmm. I'm always the guy that like, even if I'm pretty sure I'm going to go back through and make sure. Yeah. Because I want to be the one to find a mistake and fix it. I don't want anyone else to be like, look at your dumbass code, you shit, shit bird. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't know. Hit the bricks, pal. Hit the bricks, pal. You're fired. <laughs> uh, Tin, never open your mouth unless you know what the shot is. Yes. Perhaps one of the better, less known quotes in the movie, Pacino's character scolds Scacy for bluffing without knowing the context and screwing up a deal. Big takeaway for me is while clearly lying is bad business, despite its common usage in the film, going hard on a cell, bluffing or not, is not only the right bet, is only the right bet when you've done your research. Uh, I do agree that because that's always interesting when a salesperson like talks with me in a way that makes me feel like they've completely misunderstood me or what my needs are. Yeah, like you know that the going back to the State Farm agent that I was talking to, like I went to him to buy term life, and he's he's buy and hold, uh-huh. even though he should. I mean, I mean, I don't expect him to remember a conversation I had me three years prior where he was saying that's a stupid idea, but like, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I have you ever had that feeling where yeah, you talk certainly. to a salesperson and they hear, they, they seem to be listening to you, but then they offer a solution that just is not even going to come close to what you need or what you can afford. Yeah. Um, and it's frustrating. Right. And I think, I think that's, you know, one of the things we do, to apply this to bald move, yeah, is we kind of want to get the shot before we pull the trigger on a new podcast, right? We want to see. Now we didn't do that with Westworld because we're kind of into it from yeah. the jump. But like for most podcasts, we wait a season, we see how people are enjoying the show, right? Once we know the shot, then we jump in, right? And we we start our thing. So I, I feel like you know there are lessons to be learned there, uh, and that's one of the principles I like the most. Like I'm not saying I want to go out and lie to people. But the thing is, you need to understand what kind of scenario you're in before you react to it. Right. Yeah. That, that just seems to be good life advice. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and that's it. I don't know if you had anything else you want to talk about this movie. Again, it's one of those things, one of those classics that everybody should see. The, the sheer amount of talent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's incredible. Like on both sides of the camera and in the and then the script writing, just um, it's amazing dialogue delivered by professionals at the top of their game. Yeah, and then it feels a little like it's interesting the jazzy soundtrack at the beginning. It feels very like salesman noir. Oh yes, yeah. As <laughs> I was thinking, like when uh, the those blue titles are coming and they're playing that, it felt like a cop movie, right? And the train goes by, sure. and you're thinking gritty city. Salesman Noir is a great way to describe that. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, that's exactly exactly what I felt like. Because, like, I'm, I'm sitting down to watch, you know, uh, In the Heat of the Night or uh, uh, Hill Street Blues or something like that. Right. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Glengarry Glen Ross. Uh, pretty, pretty amazing movie. Lived up to the hype. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you, Eric Kunanen, for giving me the opportunity to finally put that notch in my belt. Uh, we appreciate it. As we've often said, the Commission podcasts are one of the better parts of our jobs at this point because of delights like this. Stuff that you know you either wanted to, but you never quite got a chance, or delights that you had no idea, like the Ponte Pool from last week. Uh, next week we're going to be doing Dead Deadwood, um, which I've never seen, but I've seen the first two seasons. I've heard is good, and I think yeah, I, I got to see exactly what they're what, what they targeted for us to watch. Um, mm-hmm. And is that was that a community commission? I can't remember. We might actually have to do some legwork to see exactly what. I imagine it's going to be the first two or three episodes, but we'll we'll see. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, thanks again, Eric, for commissioning this podcast. If you would like to. Do what Eric did and commission your own podcast. Have us watch any roughly two-ish hours of entertainment. It can be a TV show. Uh, it can be a movie. It can be a video game. And talk about it. Uh, you can go to baldmove.com slash shop. Click on the film canister. And uh, then you, there's either a bunch of a la carte selections that you can chip in for 10 bucks at a time. Uh, we call those community commissions. Or you can actually just man up. Get the brass balls required or the brass labias required to <laughs> yeah. step forward and commission a podcast. It takes, it takes courage and conviction. Uh, but, 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 uh, and, and if you don't, then I don't know, you get steak knives or something. I've, I've lost a metaphor. Third prize is you're fired. Third prize is you have to listen to someone else's podcast. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next week until then. I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Bye-bye.